Good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be worshiping with you guys and singing today. We have a good group here today. And if you would indulge me, I'd like to try a little experiment. Get your raising arms ready for me. Uh, would you raise your hand if you like to watch NBA basketball? Pretty good group. Look around, too, and see what other people are doing. Uh, raise your hand if you like Star Wars. Oh, good. It's bigger. It's good. All right. Um, how about if you like the season of winter? Oh, we got a lot of those, too. When I look around, I notice what I expected to notice, which is that this, these exercises divide this group into two sections, the ones with their hands raised and the ones that don't. These are the kind of things that, that in the world bring people together. You go out and find people who like NBA basketball and talk about it, or fans of Star Wars and talk about the latest movie or show. These are the things that bring people together out in the world. But here in this group, it divides us into two parts, those who do and those who don't. So look around again. Who likes to watch NFL football? Well, that's probably almost the biggest one, right? I could ask you to raise your hand a lot more, but we're done with that for now. I think you get the idea. How about if I asked you to raise your hand uh, for those of you who are under 25 and those of you who are over 50? You could imagine that, right? That would be two separate groups again. Um, how about those of you who are men or, or males and those of you who are women? That's going to divide this group also. How about if you're black or if you're a Native American or Hispanic? or white. Those are going to divide this group too into those who are and those who aren't. How about if you're a manager or if you're an employee? These kind of things, again, they bring people together out in the world, but when we come here, they divide us into two different groups. So what do you think, what could get us all to raise our hands here? Can you think of something that would, that would bring that would raise all of our hands, of everyone here in this building, or everyone listening to this lesson. I'd like to know what you think that is. Maybe we can talk about it afterwards. So think about it. Because not even if I said, uh, raise your hand if you're here today, would it cover everyone? Because not everyone is in this room. Some people will be watching this on video later, and they wouldn't be able to raise their hands. What would... what? brings us all here today, that, that unifies us in a way that none of those things do. Well, in, in the New Testament, the word for church is, means the called out or the assembled for a specific purpose. And that's us today. We're brought here together, not just out of random chance, not because of our fanness or what it is we watch or are interested in. We're brought here together not for the things that divide us into groups, but what brings us together into one group from everywhere uh, throughout Phoenix. We're called out to fulfill God's purpose in the church. We're going to talk today about unity, about how God makes one out of all of the many of us and the different parts that we are. The purposes of God's church are many, but three of them that I'd like to consider are to, to worship God. That's one reason why we're here. To build up the saints and to spread the good news throughout the, word, throughout the world. 
If you turn to Philippians chapter 2, that's where I'm going to be spending my entire time today. Paul talks us, to us about unity in this chapter, and he tells us that unity is important for all the purposes that the church fulfills. Uh, in verse 11, he talks about how Jesus exhibited all the qualities that Paul is going to admonish us about here in this chapter, and that as a result of that, Jesus was exalted, and that was to the glory of the Father. That, was, that resulted in worship to God. When we follow the command to be interested in others, that leads us to build each other up, to look for ways to strengthen each other. Uh, and Jesus said to his disciples, the, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So even the way that we are together as in unity helps spread the gospel to the world. Unity is important in accomplishing all three of those purposes. But let's go and, and into chapter 2 and see what's necessary for us to achieve that unity. Let's look at the things that Paul tells the church there at Philippi. He actually talks in Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All of them have extended sections on unity. 1 and 2 Thessalonians really don't, but he specifically calls out how good they are at doing that. You guys excel at brotherly kindness. He says, you're an example to everyone around you. And in fact, they extend too much fellowship, and he tells them that there's, there's a limit to how you can be unified when people are walking disorderly or being idle or not doing the things that God wants. You need to withdraw your unity from them. Oh, of the same mind. So the first thing he asks us to do in verse 2 is that we are to have the same mind. In verse 2 it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. That's English Standard Version. A lot of times when Paul talks about unity throughout the New Testament, he starts showing us how we are the same. How all the differences that we talked about earlier mean nothing within the body. That the church is one unified whole. In Galatians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 3, he specifically says there's no difference in the body between our race, between our socioeconomic status, those who are rich and those who are poor. There's no difference between those who are slaves or masters or managers and employees. There's no difference between those who are men and women. Or there's no difference among us of those of us who have sinned. We've all sinned. And we've all been forgiven by Jesus. And all of us have the same hope together, that we as a church are one unified whole. And as a result of that, we should strive to have the same mind. We should act as one to do the Lord's work. We should fulfill the purposes of the church together and not really think of ourselves, not focus on our own, don't think too highly of ourselves or, or on our own needs, but think of the needs of the body. Sharing. Uh, so have you ever been to a retreat, like a, a time when people go apart from... Usually they'll, maybe they'll rent a cabin or a secluded house or they'll go out to camp, like to, to Bible camp out in the mountains somewhere. They'll go away and decide, I'm going to retreat from my regular life. I'm going to put aside my cell phones, my technology, and we're going to get together and we're going to focus on studying the Bible together. We're going to share in our Christian fellowship. We're going to 
talk to each other about a specific topic usually and, and encourage and really get to know each other. Have you guys ever had a chance to do that? I know most of you guys have. The people that I've talked to about that and the experiences that I've had, those are some of the deepest times, some of the most special times. We make our closest bonds between Christians that way. We'll share and talk about things that we don't normally talk about. We'll support each other in ways that we're not normally able to when we're totally focused on the Word of God together, when we share in that fellowship People make friendships that last an entire lifetime or call out those times as special moments in their lives where it really made a difference, the kind of relationship they had, the sharing that they had with other Christians. I wish that you would all have a chance to experience a time like that, uh, people meeting solely together to focus on spiritual things and to worship God and share in that special bond as Christians. Well, if you look around... That's what we're doing here. We are joined together for that purpose. We have set aside this time apart from our regular lives to come here together to share in what it means to be a Christian, to be unified in that way. But we don't often get the same experience here at worship that we get on those special times. What do you think the difference is? What's the difference between that weekend that you spend with some brothers and sisters or that week that you spend at camp What's the difference between that time and the time that we're here together, worshiping, focused totally on God together? Is it, that's another one I'd like to talk to you about afterwards, so think about that. Is it maybe our expectations, what we hope to get out of this worship? Is it the attitude that we bring when we come together versus the times when we do those retreats? I think we have the ability to have that kind of closeness here together if we share our unity in that way, that's something we can reach for. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he talks about, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's the kind of sharing that we do, we do, do together. We share together and admonish with each other if we have spent time preparing for that. A lot of times the first things that come to our mind are not necessarily, they might be football or they might be things that are naturally ready if we haven't prepared to have that kind of talk or that kind of association together. So it turns out that we need to be ready for it, but that that can be the kind of relationship we have. And what we find is when we have those fellowships and we share that kind of mind, that kind of love, it builds us up as individuals and when we are built up as individuals, the body as a whole, the church, is strengthened. It helps focus our efforts and our plans and our goals, and it brings us together on task. Because I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but probably if we weren't here together serving God, I might not know any of you. This may be, I mean, this is the reason why I even know you. We may have such vast differences in the rest of part of our lives that we would never even talk. But we come here together because of what we share. And if, we go, if I go apart to my separate lives and I never talk to you guys again, then we're not going to be able to do the Lord's work together because if I go on along my life as normal, I'll never contact you. I'll never be a part of your life unless I share in this kind of love and I make those bonds with you even outside of here and do the work of the Lord together.
the mind that we need to have when we look later on is the mind of Christ. He had rights. He had the right to be exalted God in heaven and he, you know, above all. And he emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a serpent, servant. He didn't claim his rights. He freely gave them up in order to serve others. And he was obedient unto death, even a death as horrible as the death of the cross. So he's also, he's our example of how to be that way. When Paul, after Paul talks about us as a single group, a monolithic group, he usually breaks it down in the other books and talks about how we are unique and different. In fact, this, this church is made up of individuals, and these individuals are not identical, as you know. We're all different. We all have unique, special things. We're different in terms of what our abilities are, what talents we've been given. We're different in the function that we provide here in the body. He uses the body as an example. Some are eyes, some are ears, hands, feet. We have different roles within the congregation, even though we're one, or in the church, even though we're one body together. Our interests, or what's good for us, our path towards maturity is different. Uh, the relationships that we have are different and unique amongst us. We're different in blessing. We're different in faith. We're different in levels of maturity. And knowing that, we should celebrate our differences, he says. We should look for the ones that are the people who are less uh, beautiful when it comes to parts of the body, the comparison is. The ones who don't get talked about a lot, we should look for those and praise them even more. We should use the unique abilities that we have to the fullest together to do God's work. And we should pay attention to each other's individual interests, that is, what's in each other's best interest, our needs. And we should individually grow in order to make the body more healthy. Because the interesting part is, the only way you can talk about the church becoming more unified is if each and every individual part works together to become unified. Then as a result, the body becomes unified. So each one of us has a role in this. We can become, we can make the body more unified by doing that ourselves. And not only that, it's not just the members, but it's the relationships that we have to each other, the complex bonds that we have. And they're affected by the commands that we're talking about here. If our relationship is based on first, the spiritual things, then that's going to change the nature of our relationships. What it is we talk about first, you know, the center of why we are together and what we do together. Moving on in verse 3, he tells us not to be too self, not to be, not to be motivated by selfish motivations or motivated by conceited pride, but to instead be humble. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Like President Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We need to learn to ask, what can I do, not just to benefit me, but what can I do to benefit the body as a whole? 
How can I benefit the kingdom by my actions, not just myself? Not focusing on, each, on the individual, but on the church. And Jesus is the perfect example of this again. He gave up all of his, he gave up his rights to fully to serve. And we don't necessarily have, we have very different rights than Jesus. We don't have that level of the right to do things. But maybe we do have other rights. Maybe we have a right to think about ourselves. Maybe we have a right to accomplish certain things in our life. Maybe we have a right to get six cars and a giant house or, or get a PhD. You know, maybe we have the right to do all kinds of things like that. But maybe we can't do those things and what God has planned for you. If it comes to the point where you have to make a choice between the two, that's when it's your responsibility to do what Jesus did and to set aside those rights and to do what God wants you to do. In 2 Timothy and in this book as well, Paul talks about his life being poured out as a drink offering. That refers to an Old Testament offering where they take a glass of wine and they pour it onto the ground as an offering to God. Isn't that a tremendous waste? I mean, that, that wine could be used for so many things. It has medicinal purposes. It tastes good. It could be good for refreshment or for keeping people alive. Isn't that a waste to just pour it out like that? Well, it's not a waste. It is the greatest thing that that wine could aspire to, to glorify God by its pouring out. And that's what Paul is saying about our lives. Our lives, we have many opportunities, many things that we could do. Is it a waste for us to, to use it in service to God when we could have done so much more? No, again, no matter what potential we have, pouring our lives out to God is the number one use for our life. Looking at things in a spiritual light really changes the way they look, and I, there are so many things that are like that. This looks like a waste pouring things out, or someone with great potential not fulfilling it. People who serve God may sometimes look like they don't accomplish anything in this life, but have in fact devoted their lives to do the things that are most important. What if you could have come up with a cure for cancer? That's pretty great. What if instead you gave up that path to serve God more? Wouldn't that be a shame? Would that be a waste? It would not. That would be the greatest use of your life, what you were purchased for, just like that wine in that, port, in that example. What's important is, was your life spent for yourself or for God and his purposes? Did you pour yourself into your ambitions or did you use the things like your career and your success to pour yourself into God's kingdom instead. Then he says, don't be motivated by conceit, which is trying to look good. Don't be motivated to try to look good to others. That is such a huge motivation in our lives out in the world. It's what people strive for. It's what Facebook is all about. I mean, trying to make yourself choose the things that make you look good. When that happens, pride sneaks in and, and it will motivate us and change the way we act. I mean, Jesus didn't, certainly didn't try to impress. It, the scriptures say that he made himself of no reputation. And he was born in a barn, and he was laid in a manger. I mean, he lived a, a life of the lowly man to do the work of God that he was sent for. The problem with being motivated by that, uh, by, by pride, is that it destroys the value of your work. When Jesus talked to the Pharisees and the scribes, he pointed out several times that 
even if they did the right thing for the wrong reasons to be seen of men, then that work was worthless. So it will destroy the value of what you do. But even worse than that, you can find yourself doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, but you can also do the wrong thing for the wrong reasons because you will choose things that are the good-looking things in the body. You will intentionally not choose the quiet service of God. You'll intentionally walk away from the things that aren't praised. And that could be to the detriment of the body. And when people see that, it will hurt them. They may see you and they may say, well, that's a hypocrite right there, and it may discourage them. Or they may believe you, and they may look at you and say, there's a super Christian, look at him, or I could never be like that. That might discourage them. Or maybe worse, they may follow your example and then be led in the same path as you to do things that are, that are only elevated or things that make them look good. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, Jesus, Paul tells us about something that Jesus told him. Jesus said, uh, and, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul was then able to say, after hearing what Jesus said to him, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We need to come to the understanding that really the greatest work that can be done in the church is when we recognize our weaknesses and allow God to work through them to his glory, as opposed to our strengths or what makes us look good. Then he says, be humble. Count other people more significant than yourself. God isn't really interested in people who think that they're great. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he says, You who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is definitely about relationships in the church. If you think of others more highly than you, it's going to change the way all your relationships work. Jesus demonstrated this in so many ways that we don't have time to talk about them. He humbled himself to come to earth. He washed the disciples' feet, which is a dirty, a dirty, filthy job to show them that service and humility was more important than the bickering that they were doing. And finally, he died for others' benefit. Next, Paul tells us that we need to be interested in others. In Philippians 2, verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That doesn't mean we should start watching NBA basketball or Star Wars. That, not those interests, but what's in the best interests of people? What, what will benefit them in the best way? Like we do look out for that in ourselves naturally. What we know is that Jesus loves people. God loves people so much that he sent his only begotten son to die so that whoever believes in him would be saved. He did what he did on the earth, not for himself, but for other people. And he had a genuine interest in every disciple. When he went to them after his resurrection, he went to each one and helped encourage them. He cared not only about everyone who, he cared about everyone who came to talk to him and dealt with them specifically, not just with a broad brush even. And we need to be like him and mirror that in other people, or mirror that for other people. 
what we found is that unity accomplishes God's purposes in the church. Each one of us has to work at unity in order to make the church unified. So what can you do? With one mind, it focuses us and it brings us together with fellowshipping based on, first, why we are here together. What are you going to do to help make our fellowship, first and foremost, spiritually centered? I'm not saying don't talk about Star Wars or anything else that we talk about out there, but can't we take a step on the path to making our gathering as fulfilling as one of those retreats or a camp? Can we ask each other, can you share your thoughts about the lesson with someone? Can you tell someone a thought that you had during the weekly reading? Can you ask a brother how they're doing with their walk with God or share a struggle that you've had you could use encouragement about? What would make everyone here raise their hand? Talk to someone about that or ask them what their thoughts are. Or what's the difference between our gathering here and Bible camp or a retreat? Unselfishness and humility. This builds the body, balances our efforts, and helps us serve. What are you going to do to pour yourself out as an offering to God? What rights are getting between you and what God plans for you? Are you ready to give them up? What weaknesses do you have that God can work through to his glory? How can you raise someone else up above yourselves in your thoughts and your actions? An interest in others, that mirrors God's love for us. It helps us do what's best for others and honestly help them grow. What are you going to do to look out for the interests of others? Who will you take a special interest in? How will you find out what is in their best interest and make it happen? How will you sacrifice for others to show the love that God shows you? Unity isn't just desirable in the church, but it's absolutely essential to fulfill its purposes, to glorify God, to build up the saints, and to spread the gospel. And it's not surprising that Jesus prayed for us, for us, to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be also in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If you're not a Christian now, this is your chance to join. Hopefully you've seen how great God's plan is for the church. It's a group of people who are all in it together with no earthly divisions, who love God and each other unselfishly. Of course, we're human and we do mess up, but that's what we're aiming for. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're ready to repent and come forward and be baptized, you can do that now as we sing this song.